Thank you for downloading this sermon from Grace Presbyterian Church. Grace is a church where people seeking more grace, more depth, and more community can start finding their way and sharing their gifts with the world. You can follow us online at graceforsufalls.org. We're in uh, Zechariah 7, but then we'll also be looking at Zechariah 8, verses 18 and 19 briefly as well. To hear the word of the Lord. In the fourth year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, which is Chislev. Now the people of Bethel had sent Sherezer and Regamelech and their men to entreat the favor of the Lord, saying to the priests of the house of the Lord of hosts and the prophets, Should I weep and abstain in the fifth month as I have done for so many years? Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me. Say to all the people of the land and the priests, When you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and in the seventh for these seventy years, was it for me that you fasted? And when you eat and when you drink, do you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? Were not these the words that the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous, their cities around her, South and the lowland were inhabited. The word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, The fast of the fourth month, and the fast of the fifth, and the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth, shall be to the house of Judah seasons of joy and gladness and cheerful feasts. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. Father, we pray that you would give us the strength to love truth and peace, that we would not attempt to substitute our false pieties for changed hearts. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. As you can hear from our text, the situation has changed a little bit. The narrative leaps forward in the book of Zechariah. The front of your order of worship, there's an updated timeline that shows you exactly the relationship of what's happening here to the earlier oracles that we've been studying. But just to give you a a sense of orientation, let me just go over a few things. First of all, you need to know this, that during the period of exile, the 70 years after the fall of Jerusalem, some traditions, some rites, some rituals had been observed by the exiles, and some of them are alluded to here, some fasts that they had developed in order to mourn the fall of Jerusalem. Now, the text mentions them, but not in order. I'm going to give them to you in order so you can kind of think in terms of the chronological year. So there was the fast of the fourth month, and that was to commemorate the breach of the walls of Jerusalem. All of the events that are commemorated are found in Scripture in 2 Kings chapter 25 following month, the fifth month, there was another fast. That one was to commemorate the burning of Jerusalem, and you might think of as the official beginning of the exile. And then, skip forward, there was another fast, the fast of the seventh month, and this one commemorated the assassination of a reformer named Gedaliah, who had been associate of the prophet Jeremiah. And his death is recorded in again in 2 Kings 25, and also alluded to in Jeremiah 41. And that was a big event because he had attempted to lead Israel back on the path of obedience, the way the former prophets had called them, 
and he had been assassinated. And then there was the fast of the 10th month. And the fast of the 10th month is kind of an overall commemoration of the onslaught of the siege. So four different fasts observed during these months who remember in exile the fall of Jerusalem. But now we fast forward a little bit because these events are taking place later after the exile. This is taking place in the month of December in 518 BC. So it's been two years since the restoration of the temple restarted. Two years since Haggai first began to speak to the people and Zechariah first began to speak. It's been almost two years since the finish of the night visions that we spent so much time talking about. And during the course of that time, they've been building up the temple, but the prophetic ministry of Zechariah has been silent. You might have thought that like Haggai, Zechariah was done. But now something happens that changes that. Now, what you need to know, in 518, not only has the temple been two years under construction, but it's going to be another two years until the work is finished. So while the people don't understand this yet, these events are taking place at the halfway point. The work that began when the prophet spoke is halfway done, but not yet. We're two years in with two years still to go. Now, at that halfway point, a delegation comes from Bethel. Bethel is about 12 miles north of Jerusalem. They have impressive names, which I will not attempt to pronounce again. I already did it once. That was enough. But they had a question that they were bringing to Jerusalem for resolution. Should I weep and abstain in the fifth month as I have done for so many years? Very pious-sounding question. If we boiled it down, though, What they're really asking is, is it time to stop fasting and start feasting? Is it time for all this to be over? Essentially, is the exile now over? That's what they want to know. Can we stop doing the things that we did during the exile to remember the fall of Jerusalem now that we're back in Jerusalem and the temple is being reconstructed? That work nearly done. Are we finally done fasting? You can read between the lines a little bit in this delegation and and imagine what motivated these leaders to come and ask this question. I think it's fair to say that the people were tired of fasting and were going to their leaders and saying, is it over? Is it time to be done? Why are we still fasting if we're back in Jerusalem? Can't we stop? But these leaders, like any leaders, don't want to appear that they're just giving in to pressure, that they're changing their direction just because people don't like it. And so they send a delegation asking essentially for God to let them off the hook, for God to say, well, of course, you can stop doing that stuff. We're back in Jerusalem. The time of fasting is over. So this delegation is coming in hopes that God will say, you can stop now. The fast has ended. I think it's not difficult for us to put ourselves in their shoes, to imagine what it would have been like to be those people who were tired of their fasting or to be those leaders who were trying to figure out how to give the people what they want without appearing to give in to pressure. You think about the the moment that we find ourselves in, like in our history, I think a lot of us are asking, is it time to get back to normal? the time for this all to be over. 
Can we now be done with what we've had to put up with for so long? We're tired of this pious deprivation and we want to get our lives back. Is it now time? Well, it's easy to, to think of this in pandemic terms. The reality is there's nothing unique about that feeling. We've all had it in many different aspects of our lives. Anytime we've been called upon to sacrifice, called upon to endure something, uh, at a certain point, it gets old. At a certain point, you're ready to be done with it. At a certain point, you're, you're tired of fasting and you'd really like to start feasting. This is normal. These are feelings that we have all shared in. The challenge here is simply this, that the work isn't done. The building isn't done. The building wasn't done, but the people were. That's the challenge. They ask, should I weep and abstain in the fifth month as I have done for so many years? And you can hear in that question how much commitment these people have shown. After 70 years of discipline, which was a lot worse than anything that that we could compare it to, anything that we have gone through. After 70 years of this, the people are ready to be done. Can you blame them? Can you blame them? I know I can't. Think about it. We've just looked at the fasting that they were doing. There are 12 months out of the year, and they spent four of them fasting, and that's only if you count these new fasts during the exile. That's not counting everything else they were already doing before that. They had shown a lot of faithfulness, a lot of discipline. For 70 years, they'd stuck it out a long time. It's not like they went into exile and decided, okay, I guess we can stop all of this uh, temple religion, Judaism stuff, and just embrace the religion of our conquerors. No. For 70 years, they had remained faithful, and they had added on to that these additional observances, additional feasts. It's only now with the end in sight that they're wondering if it's time to move on. They've endured so much, but it seems like it's almost over. I mean, we are back. We are here. Is it now time to switch gears and go over to feasting? Right? They're not abandoning these fasts either. It's not that people come from Bethel to say, look, up in Bethel, everybody went crazy and nobody's fasting anymore. No, they are doing it, even though they feel like it's time to move on because they're trying to do the right thing. They're not abandoning the fast. They're asking for guidance. They're asking for permission. Surely they're going about this in the right way, in the responsible way. When we're ready to be done, we do it like this. Here we are. We're, We're people striving to be faithful, striving to do what we've been called to do. And when we don't want to do it anymore, we don't just stop. We don't just abandon it. We do what they did. We count up the ways that we've been faithful over the years. We look at all the sacrifices that we've made, especially the ones we've made when other people haven't made them. We look at that record of faithfulness. We think about how long we've been faithful, how long we have endured, because that shows we're not uncommitted. It's not like we ran into adversity and immediately gave up. Like, we're committed. We're in this. We're just asking, can it now be over? We can relate to them in that. 
And in the same way, we don't just stop, we state our case. We go to the Lord, we go to the elders, we go to whoever is in authority over us, and we say, look, it seems to me like it's time for this to be over. And that's what they did. And when we look at their actions, I think it's hard to judge. Because we could easily be in their shoes, easily doing what they are doing. And yet, Zechariah's prophetic ministry enters into a new phase as a result of this question. And what he says and what he calls the people to demonstrates, things are not all as they seem. They may feel like it's time to be done, but there's something they have not yet done, and it's important. What God is going to say to them is that they've been measuring They've been measuring progress based on where they've come from, how far they've come. What they need to do is measure in terms of where they're meant to be. Don't look at where you've come from. Look at where you're meant to be. Through Zechariah, God speaks. And when he speaks, he asks some pointed questions. When you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and in the seventh for these 70 years, Was it for me that you fasted? When you eat and when you drink, do you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? Essentially, what Zechariah is now called upon to do is exactly what Haggai did at the beginning of Haggai. He's called to turn to the people and say, consider your ways. Consider your ways. You've come before me. As a paragon of righteousness, you've come before me telling me what you've done. But have you done it for the reason you should have done it? And have you done all that I told you to do? You didn't do these things for me, God says. You did them for yourselves. And it's easy in this case to understand because these were not fasts that God had instituted. God didn't send a prophet to the people and say, now that Jerusalem has fallen, here's the new fast regime that I'd like you to embrace. These were things they had done on their own initiative, out of piety, out of devotion, in order to mourn and commemorate what they had lost. The problem was, God had already told them why Jerusalem fell, and he had already told them what needed to change. But they weren't listening to that because it wasn't what they wanted to hear. They could piously invent feasts and fasts. They could piously embrace sacrifices. But that's not what God had asked them to do. That was not the sacrifice that God had called for. Instead, he called for something else, which they had been unwilling not only to do, but unwilling even to hear. If you've been following along in the recommended commentaries that we talked about at the very beginning of this series. One of them by Brad Gregory, sorry, Brian Gregory, has a long passage here, longish, a couple of paragraphs, describing the situation well. So I want you to hear these words. I think he expresses well both the, like, the negative aspect of their fasting and also what should have happened in its place. He writes these words. Their times of fasting were just as self-indulgent as when they were eating and drinking, and it had nothing to do with contrite hearts. They were concerned with trying to get back what they had lost, 
by doing the right things so that God would reverse their circumstances. For their fasting to be sincere, the people needed to observe the weightier matters of the law as well. As a long line of prophets had urged, they should administer true justice, show kindness and mercy to each other, not oppress the widow, the orphan, the sojourner, or the poor, and shun evil plots against one another. These prescriptions cover the entire range of relationships from the legal operations within society to personal relationships with each other and are as broad as the margins of society. Since neglecting these matters was among the reasons for the exile, to continue to ignore them while supposedly fasting and lamenting for the exile itself was blatant hypocrisy. So let's unpack that just a little bit. In the simplest terms, what Zechariah is saying is, the prophets told you what to do, and you still have to listen. There was a long string of prophets that refer to as the former prophets, the ones who came before the exile, calling Israel to repentance, calling the people to a change of heart that would express itself by new action. That's what would have averted the fall of Jerusalem. They didn't listen, and Jerusalem fell. Now they're back, and they're acting as if their religious observance will suffice when their hearts still haven't changed. The city may be reoccupied, and the temple may be rebuilt, but you can't measure based on where you've come from. You have to measure based on where you've meant to be. You can rebuild the city. You can rebuild the temple. But if the structures are renewed and the people aren't, then the structures will fall again and again. Because as we've seen, it was never about the structures. It was about the people that they pointed to. There's a message here for us as people who are called to build, as people who are in progress. We can look back on our history as a church, on what we've done, on what we've endured, of what has happened, and you can feel, and I wouldn't blame you because I felt the same way myself, Lord, are we done yet? Are we there yet? Are we established? Is everything going to be smooth from here on out? You gave us trials and you gave us difficulties, but now here we are. Can things please be different? If you felt that way, that's great. I felt the same way as well. Felt that way not only in church, but in your faith, in your family. Whatever you've had to look at, whenever you've gone to the Lord, cap in hand saying, are we done now? Is it time to start feasting? You can relate. But what we need to learn is what these people needed to learn. We've got to stop asking, is it over now? Are you done? Is it time for us to feast? And instead, start focusing on our hearts. Stop focusing on when will it be over and start focusing on our hearts. Am I hearing what God says? Am I listening? Am I doing the things that my Savior called me to do? Am I walking as he called me to walk? Those are the questions we should be asking. Am I fulfilling God's call in my life? 
Be concerned about that. And stop asking, when will it be over? Be focused on what God has called you to focus on. We saw in Psalm 31, the times are in God's hands. Leave the timing to him. And instead, look to your heart. Look to your heart. God does answer this question, but he doesn't answer it immediately. He doesn't bring it to fullness. Ultimately, the fasting will turn to feasting, but in God's timing. And Zechariah illustrates this by taking a while to get to that hope. You have to go all the way to the next chapter in chapter 8, verses 18 and 19. And finally, this question is taken back up again. There's a reason for that. We read the fast of the fourth month and the fast of the fifth, the fast of the seventh and the fast of the tenth. In other words, not just the ones you've asked about, but all of them shall be to the house of Judah seasons of joy and gladness and cheerful feasts. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. So it's only really in in chapter 8, verse 19, that the, the Bethel question is finally answered. And in between, you'll find God essentially reiterating all of the calls, all of the messages, all the sermons of the former prophets. The message from before the exile comes back up again. The calls on how to live justly and to love God fully, all of that stuff is going to come back. And over the course of the next few weeks, we'll be looking at those gaps, filling in the gap, so to speak, between these two bookends. The question being asked at the beginning of chapter 7 and being answered in chapter 8. But I wanted to kind of jump to the end so you could see that ultimately the question is answered and the fasting is turned to feasting, but it happens in God's timing and it happens through God's work, not through the people's obedience and faithfulness and sacrifice. In other words, the former prophets had called the people to renewal, not just the buildings. Now God is going to remind the people as they rebuild the buildings that all this means nothing if we don't also see a change of heart. Divine change will turn fasting into feasting, but piety without change means nothing to God. God is bringing change to the people. He says, I will turn your fasting into feasting. And when I do it, you won't need to ask if it's time. You will know because of the power of my work. When I change you, your fasting will be over and it will be time to feast. But without that change, there never will be feasting. God's answer to the question is a two-part answer. First, we see that God is indifferent to human piety that ignores his call for heart change. There's no way to invent enough religion to satisfy him if our hearts do not change. No fasting, no sacrifice, no appearance of being a good person, no moral demonstration will be enough. If our hearts are not changed, if we are not repentant, if we do not place our trust in him, we cannot be appeased by man-made fasts or sacrifices, only by the transformation of the heart. 
That's the second point, that God himself is transforming our fasting into feasting. He's doing it through Christ's sacrifice applied by the Holy Spirit. And that's the change we ought to focus on. Change my heart, not my circumstances. That's the path to spiritual feasting. That's where change comes from. Now, I get it. When you hear an old Calvinist like me say, God is going to do it, not you, it sounds like I'm saying you don't have to do anything. But that's not the case at all. That's wrong. In fact, I'm going to tell you exactly what you need to do. Because Zechariah does in our text. God says through Zechariah what we need to do. He says, therefore, love, truth, and peace. Those are the marching orders. I'm going to turn your fasting into feasting. You should love truth and love peace. Whether you're fasting or feasting, whether you're making sacrifices or enjoying blessings, therefore, love truth, love peace. That's what we've been called to do. So stop looking for signs that it's over. Stop looking for signs that the circumstances are going to change and instead cry out to God for change in you. Cry out to him for a changed heart. Stop focusing on your deprivation, on your circumstances, on the crises that you're facing, and start focusing on Jesus and his work and walking in the Spirit, regardless of the circumstances. Walk in the Spirit. Don't walk in your own weariness. Don't walk in your own self-righteousness. Walk with Christ and leave the timing to God. Leave the timing to God. He'll turn your fasting into feasting. Let him do it when the time is right. Let him answer the question in his timing. Leave the timing to God. He'll end your exile and bring you home. But in the meantime, do what Christ did, what he calls us to do. Love truth and love peace. Over the course of the next couple of chapters, we'll see what loving truth and loving peace are all about. Thank you for listening. You can find more sermons from Grace and information about joining us for worship by visiting our website at graceforsufalls.org. We also invite you to visit the iTunes store and subscribe to the Sermons of Grace podcast.